I'm blessed because of you. Ever since you've been here, things have been going really well for me. I've been much more wealthy than ever before. And Jacob acknowledges the fact, but says, I still want to leave. And Laban says, what are your wages then? If you're going to leave me like this, if you remember at all the story, it's all about um, gaining things from one another. They're trying to get over on one another. Jacob's whole life has been trying to advance himself through every crook or measure he could. And God is using all of that despite his bad motives. And here is Laban, verse 29. What wages should I give you? And Jacob responds, you yourselves know um, how I've served you and your livestock has fared well with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household? Jacob is not even a man of his own house yet. He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all the flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and speckled and spotted among the goats, and they shall be my wages. Normally in the ancient world, a shepherd was paid with 10 or 20% of the new animals that were made that year. So this is a normal thing to ask for in wages. So my honesty will answer for me, Jacob says, when you come to look into my wages with you, everyone who is not speckled or spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Now that's amazing, considering everything we've seen. Jacob is going out of his way to say, I'm done playing tricks. I don't want to deceive anyone. So therefore, it has to be only the animals that are clearly as day because of the spots and the and the speckles on their hide, that they belong to me. I'm not stealing anything from you. And Laban is thrilled with this. He says, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, and of course Laban hasn't changed as much. Notice the difference. Jacob is actually trying to be honest for once. Laban is doing what Laban always has done. Have you grown in Christ? Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you will begin to look like Christ. These blessings, as Laban goes on and says... That day, that same day they made the deal, the day he was supposed to pass through the flocks, he removed all the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and everyone that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of the flock of Laban. So Laban, of course, is doing what he does, and he takes everything that Jacob said should be his wages, and he moves it aside to his sons, three days away from this whole negotiation. Now, the story moves on to where Jacob sets uh, fresh sticks. And this is very bizarre, but why wouldn't it be? He fresh, sets fresh sticks vertically or laying them on the ground where they're stripped. He stripped the bark off of them. And so they were striped sticks. Uh, and he set them near the water uh, where the animals would breed. And the clear indication is he's thinking as an ancient uh, superstitious person um, this is his version of biology. This is the cutting edge of, uh, you know, biology right now. This is where you would go to uh, the Mayo Clinic to get the best uh, diagnosis or how to breed the best animals. This is Laban saying, if I can get uh, streaked uh, sticks before these animals when they um, give birth, then therefore uh, the animals will be streaked and spotted. Uh, very bizarre, but he does that. Um, and a lot of things happen. Uh, 
It says, the last verse of chapter 30 says, he increased greatly. He had many flocks, servants, donkeys, and camels. Skipping all the way to chapter 31 here, in verse 11, it breaks in to say this. So Laban is losing animals, and Jacob is gaining animals. All these animals, goats and sheep, are being born that are actually spotted and speckled, more than ever should really be the case. Laban was thinking, essentially, this is a guarantee that I will get so much free labor out of this guy, because normally animals don't breed that much uh, abnormalities with their hide, at least not really what would be considered a normal wage for a shepherd, which was around 20% of the flock. So he's getting a very cheap shepherd. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of God said to Jacob in a dream, And he lifted up his eyes in the dream, verse 12, and God said to him, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with flocks and are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So the clear indication is it, it wasn't about the sticks. God's just blessing you because he's blessing you. The dream that comes to Jacob. And then Jacob goes on and says, well, God says, I am the God of Bethel. Uh, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So he tells Rachel and Leah, his wife, they agree. They say, what do we have to do with our father? He's tricked us and brought us out of money in the first place. And he takes a large caravan and they separate from Laban multiple days. And they just travel south. And then Rachel even steals one of Laban's household gods. A valuable ancestral piece of gold that would have been in a small image of a person uh, that would have been good for safe travels or for futility or some fertility or some blessing. And she takes this God, steals from her own father. And then Laban finds out three days later that they've left. All of his daughters, his grandchildren, all of the flocks that were part of his at first, they're all gone. They're three days separated from him. And so he starts pursuing. For seven straight days, he tries to find Jacob traveling south as he's running away from his deceptive father-in-law. And Laban has a dream. And God appeared to him and said, Be careful and do not say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So right before Laban's about to interact with Jacob, God meets him that night in a dream and warns him. Now, you're angry with him, but I'm warning you. Actually, I'm threatening you. Do not wrong him. Verse 26 of chapter 31. Laban comes to Jacob now and finds him after he ran away with everything without even a warning or a goodbye. And he says, what have you done? What have you done that you've tricked me? And drive away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and song and tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly, foolishly. It is in my power to harm you. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why have you stolen my gods? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take my daughters from me, take your daughters from me by force. 
And anyone whom you find your gods with shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now Laban searched all over in vain, couldn't find the gods. Rachel had hidden them in her saddle as she sat on the camel. And then that's the point where it pivots. And then Jacob actually turns the tables on Laban. For at this point, Laban's the one that's all angry with him. And Jacob turns and accuses him in anger and says, What is my offense? What is my sin? I've worked for you 20 years. I have been with you. And all that happened is your livestock have multiplied. I have not stolen anything. I've worked in the heat of the day and the cold of the night. I worked 14 years for your daughters and 6 years for your flock. And then the very important verse, in verse 42, chapter 31, it says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. God was advocating for him. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks, they're my flocks. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters, for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So that Jacob took a stone and set it on a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Shadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap, this pillar, to me, to do harm. And that is the end of the family reunion, of all family reunions. And if your family reunion is anything like that, then you're in good company. This is the Bible. <laughs> um, but it is about God's grace. And that was it. He parted. They put a big uh, pile of stones between them two as a memory, a mediation. That you will not pass here to harm me. I will not pass there to harm you. I'm done tricking you. You're done tricking me. You're your own household. You do your own thing. It took a long time to get there. It's what you get for ignoring the first few verses of the Bible. A man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they become one flesh. Would have saved a lot of chapters right there. But you see how the word of God teaches that it opens up with the thesis of one man, one woman. Leave and cleave. But then it will show you the antithesis through three or four chapters of heartache. Which is much more easier than three or four years of heartache in our own life if we would learn from the word of God. We need a mediator. That is really what this is all about. One phrase I have loved, loved saying in prayer is Christ the mediator. I love saying that. It's warmed my heart in the past few months. I love saying Christ the mediator. To have that word and that concept on your lips and in your mind in a deep way, it can wash away every anxiety. It can take away every concern. It can build up walls and buttresses of confidence to approach God 
Because we're told to refer to him as our mediator. If you've ever felt far from God, if you've ever felt dejected, ever felt as though his blessings have left you, we all have been, are in, and most surely will encounter trials of many kinds. And in those moments, that is when you will feel as though God has forgot you. As though his love has parted from you. My hope for me and all of us here is that as a result of what we have just read, that there will be no lack of confidence on that day. That we will know what it means that Jesus Christ is our mediator. There is one reason we truly are apart from God. Colossians 1.21 says, We are all alienated from him. We are enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Our minds are opposed to God because our actions are evil. We justify our evil actions with our thoughts. And those thoughts run counterintuitive to all the truth of God. Therefore, God moves us away intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. Every aspect of people who would ever want to live an evil life will be given over to that evil and they will have multiple books and volumes and logical reasons to justify their evil because they are alienated from God. They are hostile in mind because they seek to justify their evil behavior. That's what makes us alienated, separated. And the only way to bridge that is through the mediator. The only way to come back to God that way is to have it all make sense in the logos, the logic of Jesus, in the blood of the cross. Other than that, we will justify every sin and then complain that God's so far from us. And why can't we see him? Why can't we feel him? Why can't we know him? Because we have run from him. Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 4, 5 says, God is the Savior of all and desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He does. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. There is one God. And there is only one way to him. The mediator, we're told in 1 Timothy 2. The mediator between God and man, is the God-man, Christ Jesus. And so there are two ways to use the word mediator. And I mean both of them. It's going to be um, a double meaning, a double sense that we see in the story. There are two ways in which Jesus Christ mediates for all who call upon his name. One is he mediates through blessings, that is through cause and effect. So maybe you've seen this on desks. They're kind of famous. Um, They're called Newton's Cradle. They're just uh, spheres, little uh, balls that are attached to string. And you pull one, you've seen them, and you let go, and they hit into three more. And then on the back end, the one comes out. Right? So these spheres move. Right? And when you pull the force of one back, the potential energy translates through the middle three So that the back fifth one moves up. Newton's cradle. The force of the first to the reaction or cause of the last is mediated through the spheres in between. It's mediated. There is, we could say, imaginary force 
that travels between those spheres. You can't see it with your eyes. If you only believe in what you see, then that would be imaginary. If we define it that way. Therefore, what we have is not physics but magic. If we just say that something is going between these spheres. Something is moving energy from here to there. Jesus Christ is the mediator of blessing. He is the channel. He is the interlocking tunnel. From which blessings come from the throne of heaven. And they meet out in this life upon you. In that sense we can say he is the mediator. He is the intervening between cause and effect. If God were to say to Jacob, you are blessed through his father on his deathbed, I have blessed him and he will be blessed. Therefore he will be blessed. Now how will he be blessed? He will be blessed through one way, the mediation of Jesus Christ, the eternal Christ, who is alive just as much in Genesis as he is in Luke. He is the God of the old and the new and he mediates blessings to this man. Yet there is also a mediation that comes. A mediation that comes not by a cause and effect, but a mediation of peoples. That is, when people are at odds with one another, as we were praying even this morning in our prayers, that we would confess our sins of anger, that we would confess our sins of unforgiveness, that we would confess our sins of pride and jealousy. When people don't get along, we call that what, need, what is needed, a mediation. But we're not talking about cause and effect. We're talking about two opposite opinions of people who need marriage counseling, for example. Two in a marriage counseling room, there is no. There is three, for there is an in-between, a go-between, a mediator, a counselor, an advocate. There has to be one in between the two to find reconciliation. And in that completely different sense, Jesus Christ is the mediator. Jesus Christ mediates not only blessings, but he mediates peace through the hostility that is in this world between us and also between God. Christ mediates blessings to you and he mediates harm away from you. In those both senses, he mediates blessings to you. They come down to you as a channel from heaven. And he also mediates all the harm, all the harm that anyone would ever want to do to you. Like, really mean this. All the harm that anyone would ever want to do to you is mediated away. Jesus comes in the middle and moves it away, ultimately moves it away from you so that it doesn't fall on you. Even the harm that God the Father would want to do to you justly for your sin is mediated away. If the just wrath of God does not fall upon us because of the mediation of Jesus Christ. How much less is it for Jesus to move away every harm in this world and not turn it into your blessing? Through this story, we are seeing or beginning to tap in to the blessings that were truly given to Jacob to see what they really consisted of. For mediation is like a bridge or a tunnel, a go-between. I've often thought, and uh, maybe you've had this experience as well, because we live on the east side of Pittsburgh, is that when we are getting from here to downtown Pittsburgh, there is a mediation. And we all have to go through it. It's called the Squirrel Hill Tunnels. It is terrible mediation. It's not, do not trust in the Squirrel Hill Tunnels. It is not your savior. But if you're going through those tunnels, it is rough. And I always do this thought. 
Whenever I'm driving on the good side, I always look at the poor guys and all the traffic, where you can see as far as the eye can see, and I think, boy, I would hate to be them. And you know, the next time around, when you get stuck in the traffic, they're looking at you that way and saying, boy, I love this road that goes nice and smooth. It's that same way. When you go through the tunnels, usually the time of the day, morning or evening rush hour, there's one side that's flowing beautifully and smooth, relatively, Pittsburgh speaking. And there's another side that you're not getting out of Pittsburgh for a good 45 minutes at least. That is, please never drive through the tunnels again the same way. That is like Jesus' blessing to us. There is one side that is always flowing freely. And it's always blessing. And there is another side of all the harm that God could ever have upon your life. All the harm that anyone could ever do to you is all blocked up. That is the promise of the gospel. And that is not the prosperity gospel. That's the real gospel. Because God works all things for our good. He can work all the evil for our good. Look at Jacob's story. He had a mediator. It's not so simple as just us being different from this person to that person. There is a huge chasm of difference between us and God. And Jacob's dream was a ladder. A ladder that reaches to the heavens. Or a stairway to heaven. That is the mediation. And above that stairway, we're told that the Lord, Yahweh himself, stood and looked down. And he made three promises to him. He said, I will be with you, I will keep you, and I will never leave you. I will be with you, I will keep you, and I will never leave you. That was the promise as he looked up this ladder of mediation. A mediation of a go-between in which the angels, these higher beings that we are separated from, they transcend and ascend this ladder. And we're told, we're promised in the blessings of Jacob that God would never leave us. He would be with us and that he will keep him. He will keep us. He, we cannot fail in Christ. These mediated blessings began with Abraham and extended through all his life. So much so that Laban clearly says, I know why I have so much stuff. I know why I have so many goats and sheep and, and camels and all of these things. All of this money God is blessing me with. I know why. It's because you're here. Jacob, it's because you're here. Ever since you've been here, I've just been becoming more and more wealthy. God's blessing was flowing to him. And Jacob's aware of this. And he wants to leave. He wants to establish his own home. And so the proof that it really is all the blessings on Jacob because of the promise is found in his wages. The wages are a proof. They're a massive test. And so Jacob says clearly, here's my wages. Every animal that is speckled and spotted, a goat or even a black lamb, anything that's bizarre, everything that's multicolored, give it to me. If it's rare, if it's a weird breed, I'll take it. That will be my wage. And you can't argue with that. The proof is in the animal by looking. So that will be mine. I will not trick you. And he says, let my honesty answer for me. Jacob is seeking to actually be honest for the first time we read ever. He wants to honor God. And anything that is not speckled, uh, speckled or spotted is considered stolen. Laban tricks him still and moves all the animals away with his brothers. He hasn't been transformed. He hasn't been sanctified. There's no evidence of the Spirit of God in his life. And then like father and daughters, Rachel goes and steals the gods, worshiping false gods, and then stealing them in the same. 
These mediated blessings come that he would be fruitful in his family despite all of his foolishness and he'd be fruitful in his field despite all his foolishness. Look at Jacob's life. His family is completely fruitful and he's an absolute fool at the same time. He's almost shipwrecked his whole entire home and he cannot help but have more and more kids. He's blessed. The design was there'd be one man, one woman, Genesis 2. Now, there's superstition. Not only foolishness and bad decisions, but foolishness and superstition. Before Rachel wanted to get mandrakes, which was, in the ancient world, a superstitious food for fecundity, or being fruitful. Or, if you couldn't have children, you would eat mandrakes. In the ancient world, that was it. That was your solution. And so she goes for that. But then they were told, clearly, in Genesis 30, 22, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her. He opened her womb and she conceived. That is, the mandrakes, the superstition, the foolishness, don't get any credit for the baby that came. It came from God. It came from his blessing. And then when you see Jacob again, now in the field, this whole story we just read, has nothing to do with his family, but everything to do with his fields. And he's making foolish decisions. And he's still blessed. And he's also following foolish superstitions. And he's still blessed. The foolish decision is, in Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jacob was foolish for staying in Laban's home. Jacob was foolish for staying under the control of his father-in-law. He was a foolish person. He put himself in a place in which, as Laban said, I could take this all back from you. I'm in the power to harm you. He foolishly exposed himself to that. Didn't live like a godly man taking authority and leadership, spiritual leadership over his own home. Even in the midst of that foolishness, he's still blessed. And he's, of course, there's a superstition with the sticks. Notice there's superstition on both sides. The mandrakes were having babies. And then, of course, if you want spotted goats, you got to get the sticks out. We all know that. And so here is Laban, thinking he could trick them. And then Jacob taking these sticks, stripping them. And the assumption was if these animals were to see whatever they're seeing in the midst of uh, producing babies, um, the animals would be striped or spotted. It's foolishness. It's so, now, see, this is the beautiful truth of the inspired word of God. At any turn, an ancient text could embarrass us. Do you understand? At any turn, we are always in danger of falling into the traps of ignorance. We are in the 21st century. There is no reason this story should ever offend your intellect. 31.12 He increases more and more, and then God says, All those goats that are striped and spotted... They're yours because I have seen what Laban has done to you. Again, like with the mandrakes and these sticks, God gets credit for the goats. God gets credit for the babies. God is the cause of all good blessings to come to us. In the midst of all of our foolishness and our modern science will someday be ancient superstition. And the best of the things we know now mean nothing aside from these eternal blessings, which is, if you are blessed in Christ, then you are blessed.
Make all the foolish decisions you want in your life. Try your best. Be foolish. Do your best science, which is nothing much more than witchcraft a hundred or a thousand years from now. And God will still bless you. He will still bless you because of Christ. Consider all of the foolish decisions you have ever made in your life. Imagine if your salvation rested on that. How many times over would you have thought, do you think, I wish I never did that. I wish I could take that back. I wish I could pull back the words that I just spoke. I wish I had wisdom 20 years ago. I wish I didn't make those decisions or put my money here or do things there. I wish I would have known the word of God when I was younger. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. Because Christ is your wisdom. Christ is your life. Christ is your righteousness. And God, in all his absolute wisdom, can take all your foolishness and all of your sin, wrapped up like a ball of wire, disjointed and confusing and convoluted, which is your life, and he can stream it out to one glorious, beautiful blessing that you and the angels will praise him for all of eternity for. This is the blessing that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And he mediates this blessing through everything. Hebrews 1, 3 says he upholds all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything is the word upheld, carried. Everything is carried from point to point to point. From past to present to future. From time to time to time. From succession of moments. Everything in your life has been held by his hand. Every blessing you've ever had has come from his hand by the word of his power. He causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. All the blessings come to him. And here we are in the season of thanksgiving. And if there is no faith in God, if there is no understanding that they all have come from Jesus Christ, there is no one to really thank. Who who has given you everything? Well, that person gave me something. Well, where did that person come from? What is the final cause of it all? Why is there a reason to even be thankful for anything unless there is an absolute personal being from which these things have come? This is the blessing of Jesus Christ. All our anxieties are considered innumerable ways in which our lives could be ruined. But to know... But to know in our souls the contentment of realizing that the Lord upholds your life every second of your breath. And every good thing that you happen to fall upon. Every good meal that you happen to find in your fridge out of some miraculous, remarkable, superstitious fashion of ordering groceries. That is superstition. Those groceries are like mandrakes. Your bank account, your bank account are like striped sticks. Where would you ever think that wealth or value comes from some institution of a bank holding a digital number in their account? Wealth and blessings and food and good have only and ever come from him. For he upholds it all. Everything else is superstition. We are no different than ancient pagans. We are no different than ancient pagans. 
if we do not bow our knee to Jesus. This is the blessing that comes to us from Christ. And not only that, mediated to us down, that his blessings come down to us through him. But all the harm. This is where he's the mediator, like a counselor. He separates people that are at odds. He mediates this way. Laban says, it is in my power to do you harm. I control everything. I got a bunch of sons here. This land is mine. These goats are mine. Those daughters are mine. Those grandchildren are mine. I have the ability to take them all from you and send you on your road. I can send you as empty-handed as you first came to me. He could do it by force. He's at odds. Jacob says he's noticed he's fallen completely out of favor with Laban. And here is the Lord mediating to see the blessings to the end. God mediates by appearing to Jacob and tells him to flee back down to his homeland. And then he mediates by coming to Laban in the dream and says, Be careful. Do not say anything to him, good or bad. Do not touch him. His blessings are upon his head. And this made an entire difference. For Jacob was afraid that he would lose everything. And Laban very well knew that all the power he had to take things from him. And from the beginning to the end, it's always been in Jesus Christ. This E is following then finally with the questions. These are questions to consider. The blessings of Jesus Christ, that is, the source of these blessings to the culmination of these blessings on the cross. They have always come from him and him alone. And so why? These are the questions to ask. Why? Why in scripture are all the protagonists, all the protagonists, maybe just a little bit better, if not the same as the antagonists? Why is treacherous Jacob our hero? If he is our hero. Why is Rachel protected for worshiping a false god and also stealing a false god? Why? Why does God like Jacob? Why does anyone like Jacob? Asking Esau or Laban who happened to not like him much. Why? When he's fallen out of favor with Laban, does he find favor with Laban? Why does a mound of rocks make a difference between them two? That they would have peace again. Why? Summary. Ultimately, Jacob, who should not have favor with God and men. Why does Jacob have favor with God and men? Is really the end of the story. Why is it this way? For Jacob's life and yours and mine, our lives have never started off with the description of Luke 2.52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. From the beginning of his days, he only increased in favor with God and with men. So that on that day, he would go to a mound, a boundary stone, and plant a cross. In which we are promised that no one could cross that mound to harm you. Not even God the Father himself. For all the wrath was poured out there. That all the blessings would come to you there. Because he has perfect favor with God and with men. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor neither present things in the future, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, or anything in all in creation is able to separate this mediation. Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is the mediator, to believe, to know that everything, Romans 8, 28, he will cause all things to work together for your good. 
for those who are called according to his purposes in Christ, the mediator. Dear Father, we have trials and we will again. Lord, solidify this confidence that we know that you are the one who has favor with God. You are the one who has favor with men. All the favor that we have, all the joy of our life is wrapped up in you. Lord, we confess this truth and we will not move from this truth. Lord, would you please give us boldness and a strong mind, contentment and confidence to know that you are Jesus Christ, our great mediator. And it is your name we pray. Amen.